five, four, three, two, one, and we are live. Sean Dyle, Aer Lingus CEO. Welcome to the North Avenue Show. Thanks, Andrew. It's great to be here. So your first year in the job, you took over in January of this year, taking over Stephen Kavanagh's seat. So tell us, how has the, the first year been? Yeah, it's it's been um, an incredible 10 months, to be honest. Um, I don't think I've ever learned as much in the last 10 months as I did in 20 years in aviation. So they say nothing quite beats being a CEO, and that's true. Um, I was lucky I'd worked with Stephen for a number of years and Stephen is still on the board of Aer Lingus, so we do catch up regularly and I had a pretty comprehensive handover and uh, that was essential really because I was coming back both to Aer Lingus and to Ireland after a long period away. So it's been a great adjustment but I've, I've loved every minute of it. So what is that handover actually like? You're, you become CEO of a huge company, your first week is just a load of papers dumped up in your desk or what is the actual handover like? Yeah, I think the first thing you do you spend a fair bit of time talking to each other about um, you know what's going on in the business so I suppose that the first thing you're looking at is what are the near term kind of challenges and trends you also then would have a look obviously at the, the strategy and the five year business plan and make sure that that's very much aligned to your thinking and uh, I would say that uh, the legacy Stephen left behind of transatlantic expansion and uh, you know the kind of definition of Aer Lingus as a value carrier is something which is uh, proven to be you know standing the test of time and I'm very committed to and then I suppose you look at um, you know the organization itself um, the culture of the organization to understand the way it ticks and um, you know look at the, the people in the organization and that's fundamental because you know they say that the um, the people in the DNA of an organization are what defines it and I think if you don't appreciate that and aren't sensitive to it um, that's a, a pitfall a lot of people can, can fall into Yeah it's an interesting point and just staying on the subject of people and organizations do you think since you started your career that values have changed within the workforce quite a bit? I think um, purpose is very important. So clarity about what you are and uh, purpose needs to be something which appeals emotionally to people. It's what gets people out of bed in the morning. And I think what we do is very exciting in aviation. You know, I think transporting people across the world, giving them experiences, you know, reuniting loved ones. And I think Aer Lingus is a brand that really does care about what it does um, and people care about Aer Lingus has got a very strong emotional bond so I think as an organisation we have a strong sense of pride and purpose and we got to keep on respecting that and building on it but that to me is probably fundamental and that's your foundation um, you know why do we exist and then I think if you've got that right you can build an awful lot on top of it What part of the market do you think you guys are positioned at because you're not the cheapest and you're not the most expensive and your customer service is second to none. So where do you think you're exactly positioned? I suppose the way we describe it, if you were looking on a matrix of one to 10, full service being 10 and low cost being one, we'd like to be in the range of about seven or eight. And we, we kind of had that sort of in mind when we relaunched our brand. You know, we didn't want it to be too loud um, or too assertive, but at the same time, we wanted it to be accessible and affordable. So at the heart of what we do is value for money. So it's giving people the things they will pay for and actually not getting distracted by the things which, you know, they won't pay, pay for or they don't value. And that's a very strong discipline. So actually knowing, you know, what you're about and what you do and being clear about what you don't do is um, is something which I think Aer Lingus executes very, very well. And Sean, would I be right in saying, just from my experience, a lot of training and critiquing goes into customer service on your in-flight and your cabin crew because you do really feel that extra added value when you're flying with the Aer Lingus brand. I think we do. And look, I think one of the things which we drive through our business um, as part of one, the decisions that we make and two, the things that we know people value is um, an analytical 
process called voice a guest. Um, so we kind of changed from dealing with customers to guests about five years ago. And that was a very effective rallying call that we needed to change things. So we call our, our customers our guests in Erlingus. It's a kind of kind of concept of hospitality, but it also served as a rallying cry that we needed to change the way we do things. And what we do is, you know, we have very, very high net promoter scores. We analyze every aspect of the guest experience, the journey, um, and we look at ways we can improve it. And we communicate all of those touch points and the ways we can do it better out to our front-facing staff, be it people in check-in, be it people in the air, um, be it people in call centers. You know, you name it, we try and kind of drive uh, net promoter score improvements in, in every decision and every improvement that we make. So I think it's a very embedded um, discipline. It's one of the top three things that I look at every month is, you know, how are people feeling about Erlingus? You know, what are the promotion scores looking like? And could you tell us what your, your week or your month looks like? I'll actually have a guess here. I'm going to guess, tr- split it three ways. I'm going to say Brexit planning, human relations and PR. Um, I think you would sort of split it maybe differently. I would say 30% of your time is probably looking at the near-term performance of the business. About 30% of your time is actually dealing with planning over the medium term. Um, so we spend a lot of time looking at our five-year plans, thinking about fleet, network, uh, shape, um, you know, big structure decisions we got to make. And then probably about 30% of your time is spent uh, doing external engagement, uh, learning what's going on in the market, dealing with external stakeholders. So I'd split it in, in those three ways. Um, Jeez, Sean, I'm African. That one very wrong. Well, no, I, I wouldn't say you're, you're wrong necessarily. And it depends from week to week, you know, because um, no week is like the same in the Ireland business and no, no day is like the same. Um, I would say when it comes to Brexit, you know, yeah, we, we do plan. But for us, it's kind of business as usual. And we think the, the kind of connectivity agreement that's been agreed in any scenario will ensure we will carry on flying. And, uh, you know, islands in Ireland, um, mobility and trade is very, very important to Ireland. And, uh, you know, getting out of the country and us offering affordable um, and very, very convenient service. I think that will persist regardless of kind of where Brexit takes. And you were a director with BA before Aer Lingus. Could you tell us about um, your role with them and just some of the experiences you had with BA? Yeah, it was it was it was a fantastic twenty years. Um, I joined in August nineteen ninety eight. I said I'd go for two and stayed for twenty. I didn't realise it was actually that long. It was that long, yeah. And um, you know, BA, I'm very grateful because I went over there as a entry level analyst and worked my way up to the leadership team. And as an Irish person working in a in a big British company like British Airways, I, I was always given every opportunity to kind of grow and to, to climb the organization. And um, I always say that to people that my experience living and working in Britain has been overwhelmingly positive. And I think it's important that people who are over here and are doing well and have done well kind of, I think, reiterate that message, especially to to people back home, considering kind of some of the things that we're, uh, we're seeing in the headlines at the minute. Um, but I had a great time. I worked overseas. Um, I worked in Asia Pacific. I spent small stints in places like France and Nigeria. I worked in Singapore. I worked in freight. And I ended up actually after quite a uh, kind of varied career um, joining the leadership team as director of Fleet Network and Alliances. And that's fun because you decide what planes we buy and you decide where you fly them. And, uh, you know, British Airways was an airline with over 300 planes and the biggest international network of any carrier in the world. And kind of launching new routes, you know, be it New Orleans or be it places like Islamabad or Osaka, you know, 
that was the fun part of the job and making sure then that the network was optimized that was brilliant fun as well oh for sure it sounds like a very exciting job and when you walked in that door your first day did you just kind of treat it as another wage job or did you have the mindset that right i'm gonna i'm gonna go to the top here um i would say a combination of both in a way um i've always felt the best way to kind of get on in a company is to put your head down and work hard and actually when you're working on either an important task or for people who count always try and go above and beyond and surprise them with a little bit more so you know a lot of the time your career is doing well and being tapped on the shoulder by somebody to do a different version of what you do and i've been very lucky that i've had a lot of people have liked the way i go about my business and have sponsored me up the organization but i didn't have a trajectory i didn't expect to maybe do as well as i did um but i think with every move you you learn a bit and you build a bit more confidence yeah and it's so difficult to climb the corporate ladder because i think everyone knows that offices aren't always the nicest places to be in and there's a lot of Chinese whispers and rumours so it does take an awful lot of discipline just to kind of get on with your job Yeah, I think the airline business will keep you honest because it's a cyclical business it's tough and it's been through a hell of a lot of change in the 20 years that I've worked in it and look other businesses have seen things like digital disruption but we've seen you know new you know more competitive models come in and take on the incumbents and you know reshape the business and we've had to respond to it so look I think you know three things I would say you need to be true to yourself and go about your business in the style that you're comfortable in two I always say that you need to be very honest about kind of what you're dealing with and uh, that will shine through um, regardless of kind of whether politics are a play or not and three I think you know just always put your head down and uh, do the job to the best of your abilities and you know what I think if I've stuck to those principles and um, I've been lucky that they've gotten me to where I've gotten to. For sure. And one area, Sean, that really kind of fascinates me in the workforce is, um, I suppose, happiness and excitement. Because, do you know, when people say you should follow your passion or follow your bliss, I think they're actually, in fact, referring to excitement. You should do what excites you. And you kind of have to go to work with that kind of fire in your belly. They are. I think you, you got to do something that makes you get out of bed in the morning. And I think you got to get to the end of a week and say, well, you know, we achieved a lot this week. And actually, you know, what I did actually is something that uh, I find important. And I do. I think aviation is very exciting. And I think that combination of, you know, bringing what you bring to the party in a business that you're passionate and excited about, if you can get that, you know, that's half the battle. And just going back to speak about aircraft, Sean, I know earlier this year there was the first, first ever solar powered flight. And I'm just wondering, will there be that kind of Elon Musk type innovation in the airline business in the next 20 years? Will I fly from from Heathrow back to Cork Airport on a fully electric flight in the next 20 years, do you think? I think it'll take um, probably a longer incubation than maybe electric cars and other forms of battery powered devices. But it's a huge area of research. Um, because essentially the aviation industry are the bad boys in the carbon footprint world. Well, I think, you know, aviation at the minute is about, you know, can be up to 2% of global carbon emissions. Um, but the drive towards efficiency in terms of the existing technology has been, you know, very marked. Uh, I think the emissions of the average, you know, kilometer traveled by air are about a third of what they would have been 20 years ago. And airlines are continuously striving to get their hands on the most efficient technology available. Um, you know, we have become the first airline group to commit to net carbon zero by 2050 and significant reductions by 2030. And everything we do now is about reducing or, or offsetting our carbon footprint. Um, you know, we were the first to commit to emissions trading. We were one of the early adopters of Corsia. 
um, because we understand that, that sustainability and carbon is a defining feature of, um, you know, the way we have to do business. And we want to take responsibility and ownership of everything we can do to be more sustainable. So I don't think the industry um, and certainly the part of the industry I work in is, is putting its head in the sand at all. In fact, we're being proactive, but also acknowledging the, the kind of period over time where you will get the type of technologies that other industries have will probably take a little bit longer in aviation. And just another question, Sean, it's actually about the aircraft themselves. The current aircrafts, how old are, are they on average? Because I, some people told me they're quite old and I know if they're quite old, they probably have a higher carbon footprint. So the average plane that we fly on every few months, how old is the actual plane? Well, look, I think most airlines will be between somewhere between eight and 12 years. And, um, you know, if you fly to Heathrow on Aer Lingus, you can fly on a plane which, you know, could be eight or nine years old, or you could fly on one of our new A321 LRs, which is a couple of months old. Um, and what you're always trying to do is is kind of replenish in a sustainable way your fleet to get your hands on new technology. You know, our A321LR, which is a new generation Airbus, you know, has got emissions and fuel efficiency, which is about 23% lower than its predecessor. And uh, it's also got noise emissions, which are about 50% lower. So from a noise and a carbon perspective, you know, that's very, very exciting. And we're very committed to, you know, refleeting efficiently, um, both Aer Lingus and actually the, 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 the group IAG that I'm part of. And tell us this, Sean, I was reading about Norwegian Airlines in the last couple of weeks, and they said they're discontinuing transatlantic flights because they weren't commercially viable. Aer Lingus actually came in with a nice tweet and said, uh, we beg to differ. So the question is really, are transatlantic flights Aer Lingus's baby? Or? Um, we used to be predominantly short haul, but over the last um, seven years, we've added about eight new routes to the North Atlantic, places like Newark, Philadelphia, Seattle, and more recently, Minneapolis. Um, so we're now flying to 15 destinations. So it's becoming a critical part of our business. I think it's the bedrock of our strategy because Ireland is a great location to be a gateway between the US and uh, Europe. Uh, Dublin has got a lot of advantages. It's got pre-clearance. It's an English language speaking hub. And, um, you know, we also feel with sort of the expansion of Dublin that there's more room for Aer Lingus to grow as a player in serving people uh, between the North Atlantic and Europe. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of natural advantages. Plus, we got a brand that um, American travelers love and they recognize and they feel very warmly towards. And we want to take that experience to more and more people. And it's working. You know, if I look at the performance of our North Atlantic uh, network this year, it's very strong. And we plan to keep on growing it over the next four years. And have you a brand awareness type indicator for the US market? We have. We have very strong recognition amongst um, the diaspora. So in places where you have a traditional presence of Irish Americans, it's strong. But it's surprising us when we go to places like Minneapolis as well and fly direct. All of a sudden, you know, when you're offering Dublin out of Minneapolis, your brand gets huge saliency. People experience Aer Lingus. They love the friendliness. They love the convenience of going through Dublin Airport. They love pre-clearance when they come back. And uh, I think that spreads uh, very, very quickly. So the brand is stretching beyond the traditional markets like Boston and New York and Chicago and is becoming increasingly, re- increasingly relevant. But we need to do more things to kind of, you know, back up those proof points. And do you think that Irish element or that American Irishness is the main brand element that attracts Americans? Yeah, look, there's no two ways about it. Aer Lingus is, is an Irish business, but it's an Irish business and an Irish brand, which is an international airline. And that's probably different from where we were 20 years ago. And um, I think that, you know, our Irish heritage is a huge part of what we are. I think it resonates very positively and we want to amplify it. 
but also, you know, we are a, a big international airline and we want to become bigger. And, um, you know, we're not a local business. We're a big exporter. We employ a lot of people in Ireland. And, uh, you know, I want us to carry on being an Irish success story. Oh, for sure. And Sean, just moving back again to our discussion about Norwegian Airlines and they saying why it wasn't commercially viable for transatlantic flights. Why is it, do you think, they failed at that strategy? Oh, well, look, I think um, we would say that what we've spoken about is the Dublin hub strategy. And when we launch a route into the North Atlantic, um, what we'll find is we're able to pick up a lot of connection traffic behind Dublin onto our short haul network. Um, so I think you do need connection traffic to make long haul work. Um, certainly that's our experience. The other thing we offer is a very competitive and very good business class offering. And, um, you know, that's been a big part of our success over the recent years. We invested significantly in a very competitive business class product about five years ago. And that works because we're seeing a big increase in things like foreign direct investment into Ireland and serving the corporate segment as well is a key part of our offering. There are probably two characteristics of our business, which I think differ from maybe what Norwegian have been offering. Um, but I wouldn't comment necessarily on, on why they've retreated from the market. But I think it gives us confidence that while we've been growing, um, we've had a competitor come in. And I think, you know, we've carried on doing what we do well and doing it successfully. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And Sean, just moving on to the state of Irish airports, the economic state of Irish airports. I know on the CSO website it said that Irish airports was up by 4.5% in passengers since this time last year. Now I'm going to be presumptuous here and say Dublin Airport has probably taken a large chunk of that percentage because I know from word in the street and different media outlets that the likes of Shannon Airport and Cork Airport are nowhere near capacity. Yeah, um, I think... Even if you have capacity, I think there's still growth being evidenced. I think Cork Airport has been growing and we grew our network at Cork Airport last year. Yesterday, we announced two new services at Shannon to Barcelona and Paris, and that's a 20% increase in our activity out of Shannon Airport. I think at Dublin, we have um, firmer growth plans because that's where our hub is. And, you know, as we grow a long haul, we grow feed onto short haul. And, you know, Dublin is the place where you can do that effectively um, because you have that lever of connection traffic. And also it's got a depth of demand, which supports the, the local traffic that we need. Um, but I think, you know, we've ambitions to, you know, grow in all of our gateways where we can. Um, but the economics need to work in terms of demand and also in terms of, of cost. Yeah, and I was just saying that because I must have flown out of Cork Airport maybe four to 14 to 16 times in the last nearly year and a half and it was always quiet but obviously the stats don't lie Yeah, I think there's been um, growth from a number of segments, both the low cost segment and Aer Lingus and look, Cork is the fastest growing you know, uh, city in Ireland at the minute and there's a fair bit of uh, you know direct investment going in there I know it's had some bad news with Novartis recently, um, but generally the trend of, of economic activity in Cork is growing um, and I do think that um, you know it's certainly a market that we're we're committed to, and we'd look you know every season at opportunities to grow at both Cork, Shannon, and Dublin. But the hub strategy is is about Dublin, and that's our main focus because I think you know from a economic impact, um, it has a huge stimulatory effect. When we fly direct to Minneapolis or Seattle, the amount of companies in the U.S. who now think of Ireland as a gateway into Europe as an investment um, you know, agenda because we have a direct service is huge. So we think both the benefits to our business and the spin-off of benefits to the economy are significant if we can grow this leadership position across the North Atlantic out of Dublin. And do you think due to Ireland's relatively poor infrastructural 
set up in comparison to other countries. For example, Dublin Airport doesn't have a direct train link from the airport straight into the city centre. Do you think this could have any bearing on possible growth in the future? Well, look, I think hindsight's wonderful and, and I think infrastructure requires, requires longer term planning. We've been very vocal about the need for, you know, hub infrastructure at Dublin Airport and we're glad that the recent regulatory determination has actually reinforced the need for uh, Dublin Airport to invest in, you know, infrastructure in the long run that enables, I think, efficient air service uh, and effective air service. Um, but I think that that applies more broadly. I think, you know, one of the constraints in an economy continuing to expand and grow will be a lack of infrastructure. And uh, I think, you know, Ireland will be kind of facing into that dilemma over the, the coming years. And it requires some brave decisions. Yeah, I was just saying that because it is a problem really that if we are one of the European hubs and New London or airport, it's kind of bad user experience to get off the flight and you don't have a direct link or an underground to go, to go straight into the city centre where you want to be. Like, is there even plans for, for this type of infrastructure, this type of construction to happen? Because I know Celtic Tiger times there was talks of it, but is there any plans? Well, look, I'm, I'm not aware of the, the kind of wider kind of ground surface plans at Dublin Airport, but I'd share your, your concern in the long run. We need to think about integrated infrastructure planning, both air, ground and actually metropolitan planning. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that that requires, you know, long term commitments. Um, and uh, I think as Ireland comes out of the last decade where it's understandable, um, you know, that constraints have had to be applied. I think looking to the next decade, what we do will have to be different. Oh, for sure. For sure. And Sean, just moving on to more marketing and branding strategies I was trying to stay in one Saturday night a few weeks ago and I ended up watching The X Factor which I don't usually do but anyway I saw um, Aer Lingus had a product placement there they were using the Aer Lingus planes to fly from London to Los Angeles so yeah tell us a bit of that I think what we're kind of highlighting there is you know if you want to fly out of the UK um, be it Manchester or Birmingham or Bristol or Edinburgh or Glasgow or London, um, you know, Dublin is a great option. You know, one, it's on the way and two, you can travel through pre- pre-clearance and three, Aer Lingus offer great value for money. So, you know, that's a very big part of our hub strategy is actually, you know, offering what we have to offer into the, the big markets closest to us in Europe and the UK is a very, very important market. So actually getting our story out there is, is very much part of that. And is there a way you can quantify that return on investment? Because I know with this type of marketing, it can be a small bit of a grey area, but is there any kind of metrics you put in place just to see how it's doing? Yeah, you know, but marketing is, is, is a tricky one. You never quite know which half of it is well spent. Um, so I think you look got to look at it rather holistically. I think one you look at is, is kind of engagement on your social channels as a result of doing it. And two, I suppose you look at engagement on, you know, your other channels, like, you know, whether you get any booking spikes as a result of generating greater awareness. And three, I think you'll also look at broader brand awareness. Are people, you know, who are watching X Factor now aware of what our lingus have to offer? It isn't just about flying to Ireland. Actually, it's a great uh, product to, to fly across the Atlantic to. And I think you use a combination of immediate results and longer term research findings to, to probe that. Um, but I think we, we would have committed it on the basis that we felt it was working in the last couple of years and we carry on doing it. How do these placements actually work? Because I looked at the TV and I just seen the placement and it was a perfect native fit because I'm a big critic that um, most types of advertising is disruptive and doesn't really add value to people's day. So I'm just wondering how that collaboration or how that placement actually kind of works. Yeah, well, look, I think collaborations like that, they're intrinsically part of the story being told on X Factor and we're part of the story. So it's not intrusive. 
it's very much we play our part and um you know i think that's a a great way of actually you know getting what you do in front of people as you say rather than necessarily bombarding them with messages that they're hearing anyhow um so i think i'm i'm think we've got a great marketing team in Erlingus. You know, the way we did our brand launch last year was, uh, you know, I think fantastic and the resonance our new brand has got. The other things we do with placement and, and I suppose the way we tell our story is something that uh, I'm very impressed with and um, we we'll certainly carry on doing. And if you were to pick one or two marketing tools that you think are most effective, maybe like social media or customer service, because I just get the vibe from you guys that your customer service is so polite and so caring for their own customers that it is your probably best form of advertising. Would I be right in saying that? Well, look, I think word of mouth is very important and word of mouth is, is driven by people's real tangible experiences. So I think you got to tell your story and tell it confidently, but you got to back it up, back it up with delivery. And that's your proof point is the people who are flying with you are you living up to your promise and i like to think that we do live up to our promise um, more often than not we don't always get it right and i think we got to put our hands up when we get it wrong and deal with it quickly but um you know i think a brand is about a promise and it's about a story and i think you got to keep your promises i think when we first spoke a couple of months ago uh, we were discussing branding and marketing and I remember you saying actually a a very interesting point that you said having the brand kind of allows you to have a mistake or just you make a mistake and your your customers will still have confidence in you I I think a brand has got to you know um, have empathy um, that people will forgive you when you do get it wrong not too often Um, and I think with that actually is putting your hand up and say look we could have done better and I think internally we got to always do that and always say look you know one people's expectations change so you need to respond to that and the bar will always get higher actually in terms of service expectations um, but two I think consistency is very very important you know that when people fly with you a lot um, that they know what they're getting and you deliver it consistently and three I think you know we do live in a world where you know things can get disrupted we have weather events we have air traffic control events you know some of it's within our control a lot of it can be outside of our control and I think communicating honestly um, and actually you know I think you know being very caring about when things go wrong is, is pretty fundamental in creating that empathy. And Sean, I know you're a busy man and you're on the road a lot. You're living in London and you commute back to Dublin, is it? Yeah, I'll travel in Erlingus anytime from two to four times a week. So it's, it's a great way of finding out what's going on and talking to both cab and crew and flight crew. And uh, it's kind of back to the shop floor stuff for me. And nothing beats actually, you know, living and breathing it yourself. Oh, I'd say it's nothing like that kind of shop floor experience. And you're kind of getting feedback and spillovers from being on those flights. And Sean, just kind of moving back, I suppose, to values that we were speaking about earlier. I guess recruitment must be a kind of tough area for you at the moment. A lot of big companies seem to be struggling with recruitment, new staff and graduates, etc. Look, I think, you know, employment is at record high levels. And I think Ireland is approaching employment levels, which are higher nearly than the 2008 peak um so yeah the labor market is competitive but we're actually finding it you know pretty effective in terms of recruiting the kind of skills we need we do look further and further afield for you know tech and digital experience so we have a much more diverse workforce than we would have had say 10 years ago but you know Aer Lingus as a a brand in terms of doing things in tech and digital which is exciting is growing and growing you'll see us at conferences in relation to tech you'll see us at the women in tech conference we'll be up there alongside the Googles and the Microsofts and you know we're growing our credentials as a company that's doing a lot of innovative innovative things in digital and tech and that's very important that we have a brand as an employer 
which goes alongside the brand that we have as an airline. Um, and I think when it comes to things like recruiting pilots and cabin crew, you know, we are a good company to work for. And uh, at, so far, we don't have any problem in, in attracting great people to work for us. Brilliant, brilliant. Sean Doyle, that's all we have time for today, unfortunately. I can't thank you enough for coming in. I know you have a busy schedule, but thanks a lot for coming in. Thanks, Andrew. It's been great. Take care.